All right, everyone. So welcome back to another amazing episode of Ed Up Career Schools, The Scoop with your host, Kathy Belletti. So you all know how passionate I am about speaking to higher education professionals across the board. And today I have a treat for you. So this young lady, not for long, is the VP of Enrollment Management with Rufalo Noel Levitz, also known as right now, but she will be transitioning into her new role as Executive Vice President with Georgia Southern University. So let's welcome Ms. Alejandra Sosa, Pernar Peroni, Peroni. Yes, you got it, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate being on. Sure, absolutely. So, Alejandra, I understand that you have extensive knowledge in enrollment management and financial aid. So this is one question that I always ask everyone because the responses vary. Okay, how did your journey start in higher education and how do you get to where you are right now? Yes, thank you for that question, Kathy. Uh, I think... Um, I believe very few of us in higher education uh, went to college because we wanted a career in higher education, right? It's something that got developed somehow you were involved in admissions or whatnot. And, and my story begins right after I, I was graduating Tiffin University, my alma mater, and uh, I was a business administration major. Uh, my concentration was in international business. Uh, I definitely thought I was going straight into the corporate world. But um, Destiny would have it that the director of admissions uh, would reach out to me because one of my good friends was an admissions counselor in the admissions office. Mm -hmm. And he asked me what I had planned for my future, what I was doing after graduation. And at that time, I didn't necessarily have uh, the plans yet. Mm -hmm. And so he said, listen, you can come on board you can earn your, your MBA uh, as a graduate assistant and then you can work at the admissions office. And that's how it all started, right? The, the rest is history. But, um, uh, you know, had the opportunity to work on my alma mater for four years uh, in admissions. I was working with international students, also got to work with online degree completion, so adult students. Wow. From there, um, I took a position at Florida Southern College, uh, where I was an assistant, then became associate director, did a lot of work around not only recruitment, but the operations side of the enterprise uh, so the technology that we were utilizing to do recruitment of our students, right? And then I went to Mercer University where I took my first director's gig. Uh, I was at Mercer for another three or four years um, running the admissions team. And then I went on to Walsh University. I was there shortly as a VP of enrollment management. Uh, after that, I went to Stetson University back here in Florida, um, where I was there for about a year and a half when I got the call from uh, Ruffalo No Levitz or RNL to jump on board. And um, I first started at RNL doing product management, actually. And so it was about coming up with solutions uh, and services for colleges and universities, right? For them to address the challenges of whatever we were navigating through in the environment. And after doing that for about three, four years, I then uh, was more client uh, focus in terms of consulting. So helping with um, all of enrollment from uh, building the demand and the funnel uh, to financially mm -hmm. leveraging to student success and how do we get our students to, to graduation. Um, and as of recently, as you mentioned, I'm transitioning back to campus. Uh, so very interesting career, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, I can tell you that I, I always have a passion for being on campus and working directly and impacting students. I think my time at RNL certainly helped develop a lot of the knowledge, the skills that I've earned to now be able to go back to campus um, and lead an enrollment management enterprise that includes marketing, student success, um, and, and then, of course, the, the enrollment aspect, the admissions, financial aid, and all of that. Uh, so very excited to go back to campus and see that impact directly into our students, especially um, a regional public comprehensive, right? Because I think those, those, those are the institutions that are really making uh, the biggest impact in our country. Those are the ones that serve the majority of our students. They're, we're truly about access and social mobility and getting our students a better life. Absolutely. I love that. You know, I was reading one of your recent posts and something that you said struck a chord with me. You said, I wanted to be the dumbest person in the room. I love that because it shows how humble you are. You know, sometimes we come into positions and we're thinking we have to know everything. We have to have all the answers. But when you have that type of approach, it says, look, I'm an open book. I want to learn as much as possible. I want to suck up as much knowledge as I can. And I think those are the folks that actually make it to the top. So I just had to point that out. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, I've always had a very much a growth mindset, right? Uh -huh. And uh, literally, when I when I made the decision to go to RNL, um, mm -hmm. that was my goal. I actually I wanted to be the dumbest person in the room, and and I got to do that, right? Mm -hmm. I knew that RNL had the you know uh, some of the top top experts when it comes to you know enrollment, financially leveraging student success, mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to learn from them. I mean, these are people that had 20, 30, 40 years of experience in the industry and have worked with many colleges and universities. And, and I had the opportunity to do that work. Mm -hmm. and, and now it, this is why I feel very much prepared to take on the role back uh, on campus, working with Georgia Southern University, which is certainly an institution on the rise with incredibly ta talented staff that I'll mm -hmm. continue to learn from. Uh, and together we're gonna move things forward. But it's important to understand that you don't have every answer, you don't know it all. Exactly. Um, but together, you know, with people around you, uh, you can certainly get those answers and uh, move things forward. Absolutely. So here's a question for you. I know that at some point you were the executive director of admissions and financial aid. And we all know that sometimes admissions and financial aid don't always play nice in the sandbox. <laughs> so how were you able to really manage that position and bridge the gap if there was one be between those two teams? Yeah, so thank you for that question, Kathy. I think it comes to, there's more than one thing, right? So if we're talking to our top administrators, here is what I can offer them. Um, we need to understand our student experience and what matters to them, right? We know that in this environment, financial aid is a top and, you know, top factor in their decision to enroll exactly. in the institution, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to ensure that our admissions and financial aid folks are aligned. Uh, and in that, we need to set up an enrollment management structure that facilitates that alignment. You know, I am still incredibly surprised when I go to colleges and I see a financial aid office that is under the CFO. Um, and then you have the admissions team under somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that right there, uh, you know, we need to start with structure and our top no administrators point. need to make sure that they're setting their teams up for success. So having an enrollment shop that includes admissions and financial aid mm -hmm. is a must in today's environment. You cannot get away with departments that are sitting 
on different opposites of, of the institutional, you know, organizational chart. And I would say that the second piece is how are we aligned in terms of understanding what is the North? Where are we driving? Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of what I find when I work with colleges and universities in my role at RNL mm-hmm. is silos, right? We're doing our work here and we're doing great work, but we're doing our work within our silo. Same mm-hmm. in admissions. So as leaders, we need to ensure that we have horizontal collaboration. I love that. Even sometimes within enrollment management units that have admissions and financial aid, we don't see enough of that horizontal cross-collaboration. Do we sit at a table to understand what is the student experience from the time that they come to our website to the time that they're graduating, right? Who is touching the students and what are, you know, what kind of bottlenecks or barriers are we creating? Mm-hmm. And seriously, shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, 100%. Because, we're not, because we're not taking a look from a student experience perspective. So I think that the way to align those teams is number one, be student centered. Decisions shouldn't be made based on this department or the department. Decisions should be made on the experiences that the students need to have in order to graduate from your institution. Uh-huh. And then have a north. What are our goals? And knowing that, hey, our trains need to align and get to the same location together. Um, and then collaborate with each other. You know, when I was on, on campus and something that we do at RNL and I still do, we did this financial aid trainings, right? Because nowadays we're seeing more of admissions office taking on that conversation mm-hmm. because of they're the ones managing the relationship. We also know that financial aid offices tend to be uh, a smaller staff that are serving the entire uh, community mm-hmm. of students. So how do we ensure that our financial aid people are training our admissions teams on you know, what are the financial details of what's on our offer, right? So that when they're talking to students, they can easily walk that student through that information. Um, So having that cross-collaboration between those teams matters, right? Um, But it comes with top leadership. You know, I always believe anything falls or rises on leadership. So you need to have the right structures for your team to then be able to work together. Absolutely. You know what? I found that financial aid and admissions seem to sit in their own little boxes. So admissions is only focused on the student and what entails in their role, right? And then financial aid is only focused on tuition and how to get a student packaged and complete to start class, right? But where is the collaboration? You know, I trained in a, in a financial aid team on customer service because you know how our students look at financial aid. Oh my gosh, those are the accounting people, no personality. That's not always true because I know some amazing financial aid advisors. However, if we look at them as a whole, it is like a culture shock when you go from the admissions team to financial aid. So I think that we do need to do more of that cross-training. And here's another point. It's good for admissions to really know what financial aid goes through when it comes to packaging a student and vice versa. I remember meeting with the financial aid team and walking them through what admissions does on a daily basis. And they were floored. They had no idea because what they're thinking is, okay, you talk to a couple of students, you get them to enroll. First of all, inspiring a student to take the next step. That is a job all in itself, you know? But then also the admissions advisors being able to see what financial aid goes through just to get one person packaged. If more schools can do that, it's going to be such a better relationship between the two teams because one cannot function without the other. 
And Absolutely. so I really love that you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, Kathy, I mean, the reality is, is, you know, like I said, financially teams tend to be smaller in terms of the, 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 the counselor to mm-hmm. the student ratio because they're serving the entire community. Absolutely. So it's not that they don't want to have that more relational conversation. It's mm-hmm. that because of time constraints and bandwidth, they have to be more transactional which is where our admissions teams can help with at least the income exactly. class, right? Um, we know and they understand that without the financial aspect, that student is not going to make a decision. So it's part of you as the owner of that relationship and helping that student make an informed decision to ensure that they have all the information financial-wise so that they can move forward with making the decision. Um, so that collaboration where, where you have financial aid teams that can train the admissions teams on their financial aspects of things, and you have the admissions teams who are very much, you know, our sales force in a way, in a way right? They know how to do the objections and how to get students to the next step because they know the student's story. Um, dealing with those conversations to free, to free up our financial aid teams to do what they do best, which is all the processing, making sure that they can take care of our current students. Um, I think we would have a much better experiences for all. Uh, you know, we have to worry about our teams being successful and, and make sure that we're not overwhelming them. Because uh, nobody wins. They don't win. Our students don't win because the service is not what the service should be, right? Absolutely. Let me ask you this. How do you feel about financially being cross-trained in objection handling? Here's the reason why I ask this is because sometimes, even though financial aid is um, transactional, sometimes if you have a potential student on the phone and a concern arises, it would be helpful if the financial aid team is able to speak to the value of the school, because if they try to make the transfer back to the advisor, and then they're not available. Now it's okay, let's set up an appointment for you to speak with your advisor again. And that time between that potential student trying to get back to their advisor just to ask, just to ask mm-hmm. another question, we can lose you know, that potential student. How do you feel about that? Listen, I think anybody that's student facing at an institution, whether it's advising, whether it's enrollment services, whether it's financial aid, you've got to be able to deal, you know, especially with barriers and objections within your areas, right? You should have a general, uh, you know, but then you also have within your areas and uh-huh. you should be able to, to not only qualify that objection, but deal with it, right? Get to Absolutely. the bottom of what the problem really is. Uh, through discovery with that student and then get at how you can offer them solutions for that issue. So I do think, you know, that's customer service, right? Um, But back to leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Do my teams have the bandwidth? Am I set up so that my financial aid counselors have the ability to have that conversation? What happens a lot, Kathy, is that now that the financial aid counselors don't want to have that conversation, they don't have the time to have the conversation because they have a queue of 25 waiting and they need to get to the next one, right? Um, So it all goes back to what kind of bandwidth do we have for financial aid counselors, right? And if they have the bandwidth, yes, they'll have that conversation, you know? If you were to call Georgia Southern and you're talking to one of our financial aid counselors, they're equipped to handle the objection. They're equipped to talk through that process, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now I wanna free them up as much as I can to deal with my current students when I have admissions dealing with my incoming classes. Um, You know, the fact of the matter is some of those incoming classes that we're dealing with, some of them are not gonna come at all, right? Um, I want to make sure that our financial aid teams are spending their time where we most need them. And and that is continuing to retain and and helping those students progress and ensuring that from a financial aspect, nothing is holding them back. 
Absolutely. I love that. So let's I'm with you, though. I'm with you on the fact that, yes, uh -huh. everybody needs to have some uh, customer service and dealing with objections is just, just part of that. But you know what, when you really think about it, I love that you said that because when you think of the average college or institution, right, you may have a team of 10 admissions advisors and then you may have two financial aid people, right? Or you may have even eight admissions advisor and then one full-time and one part-time financial aid advisor. So that makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of people have that question, right? So you just brought a lot of light to the situation my admissions people, please be patient with the financial aid team, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Give them some grace. You know, when you think about student engagement and effective communication, I know working with a lot of advisors, when they're thinking about engagement, they're just thinking about questions. Well, I know I'm supposed to ask a series of questions, but I think what's most important is what kinds of questions are you asking? It goes back to being student-centered, talking about the student experience. I think sometimes advisors get too caught up in, I need this enrollment, I'm going to focus on this program, and they lose the potential student because guess what? They don't even know anything about the potential student. They don't have enough information. Mm -hmm. So when you think of student engagement, what comes to mind? Yeah, so let me start from a high level perspective, right? Yep. And start with the fact that if you think about the expectations that students and their families have of how we communicate with them, right? How we go about this process, who are they shaped by? Those expectations that they have, think mm -hmm. about it, right? In today's day, that's Netflix and YouTube and Amazon. Think about what those companies do really well. Mm -hmm. I think about the fact, you know, when I'm on Netflix, they know exactly where I left off on my last show. They know that I like period time shows so that's what they recommend uh -huh. finish the one right and they get it right all the time like they know exactly what I need Amazon knows when I run out of shampoo and you know, <laughs> they, you know, YouTube knows that I'm into golf so they send me all these videos about golf so right and you know so what they do is it's two things they do really well they number one everything they present to you is relevant mm -hmm. everything is personalized and the way that they're able to do that, back to your point of discovery, is uh -huh. because they're tracking everything you're doing, right? Every click we take, these companies are on it. So they know that I'm looking at the golf videos and I'm not looking at the cooking videos that they send me. So exactly. they're sending me that, right? So they're looking and they're learning about us in order to present relevant content. The other thing that they do really well is ease of engagement. And ease of engagement is the fact that I can come on my cell phone, click on a button, and my delivery will be here later today. Mm -hmm. right? Or I can click and, and, and start watching my show exactly where I left off, right? Um, so we need to think of those two aspects. Number one, how do we make ourselves relevant and ensure that we're personalizing everything we put in front of students, right? Um, you know, it kills me when I still go to a campus and the people, you know, the students just got back from a visitation, they doing their tour. Mm -hmm. and counselor that says, oh, which major are you interested in? You oh, should have yes. known that, right? <laughs> I mean, they sign up for the visit. You have mm -hmm. this information, right? Uh, your question should be more, I understand you're interested in this. Is that something that you still want to pursue? Tell me exactly more about interest in that, right? So I think, um, you know, those two items, you know, we also take a look at from a leadership perspective, back again to that, technology infrastructure do we have the technology infrastructure that enables us to deliver the type of personalization that our students are expecting 
so that we can arm our admissions teams to do this discovery in a way that is going to be as suitable for our students, right? But going back to what you said about discovery, yeah, that's the most important piece of mm -hmm. it. Uh, getting to understand your students, not just as a student in the major they want to go into, but the human behind that. You know, I always encourage our teams, it's not numbers, it's human lives that you're touching and getting the opportunity to transform. That's why I love higher education. That's why I love what I do, right? And it's because every day you get the chance to impact someone's life. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's what's rewarding about the work that we do. So I always tell my mission staff, you know, don't get so caught up in the numbers and the number of phone calls that you have to do. Focus on quality. Focus on being present for that student when you're right in front of them. Focus on helping that student make an informed decision, even when that means they will not come to your institution, even when that, that program is not the right fit. There you go. I just had this conversation today. It's the matter of process versus the prospect. And I think so many advisors is just caught up in the process. So it's like, I have to have this amount of dollars. I have to make sure I get this amount of interviews. And they're totally losing sight of the actual human being that they're talking to. That's why I always say never focus on the program. People apply for programs because somebody told them it was a great idea. And not everyone takes the initiative to do the research and say, oh my gosh, that does not suit my personality at all. Mm -hmm. They just call in for information. That's why you as the expert, you have to be able to say, before we get there, I have a few questions for you. And then you start asking about their interests and you recommend the best fit that's going to get them to their ultimate goals. Thank you for that. <laughs> yes, it's about understanding them and then understanding what is it that we can offer them to get them to fulfill their aspirations, right? And it's also about aligning, right? Uh, I mean, where are their goals and aspirations compared to where they are now and being realistic exactly. about what it's going to take to do X or Y that they may not realize, right? Um, but it all starts, you know, listen, the numbers will come if you have the right focus on quality and helping that student make the decision. You know, from your leadership, the, the goal is, is that you're focusing on the right students because we've done a due diligence to understand what's the best fit for our program, what's the best fit for our institution. And by the time that you're having that conversation, you should be having the conversation with students that are a good fit for your institution. So you can really dive into what do they need? What do they want? How do I help exactly. them get there? How do we as an institution facilitate that for them? Um, Absolutely. And one thing that you said earlier, that's very true. Do not be afraid to tell a student, I don't think that our program or our school is the best fit for you at this time. You may not think you're helping them, but guess what? You are helping them by letting them know that this may not be the best fit for them. And your students will actually appreciate that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Kathy. Especially, listen, we're in an environment right now where college is, um, you know, has a bad reputation in a way, right? Like we, we have yeah. three, four students, you know, doubting whether or not college is worth it. We have the media attacking us from every direction. And the reality is, is we know that college is worth it, uh, not only from a, a pecuniary perspective, but a non-pecuniary perspective, right? It's not just about the benefits you get money-wise. Yes, we all know that on average, you'll see close to a million dollars over your lifetime. The mm -hmm. reality is, think about all the other benefits that come along with that. Uh, better citizens, you know, mm -hmm. citizens that take advantage of voting, you know, better health, even longer life. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, we need to ensure, though, that our students know the options. We are very uh, blessed to be in a country where you have an incredible, diverse higher education system. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, sometimes I, when we say that we don't have free college, we have amazing community colleges. And if you have need, it's free. Um, but the problem is that we're not doing enough as a society to inform our students of the options that they have. So they're making the wrong decisions at times. We need to be better at informing them with financial literacy and ensuring that they understand, hey, you don't need to go to this private or really expensive institution where you could go to your regional you know, public institution or you can go at the community mm -hmm. college. I started at a community college, Kathy. I started at Sinclair Community College. I didn't have the money for a four year. And I understood that. And, and thankfully my family was uh, mindful about teaching us financial literacy mm -hmm. so that we made decisions on what we could afford. And the reality is it didn't stop us from being successful. Here mm -hmm. we are, I'm 40 years old, and, and I can tell you I'm blessed to be in the position that I'm Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and it started at Sinclair Community College, who I owe so much to for giving me the opportunity to go through my associate's degree that then led to a, you know, a four-year degree that then led mm -hmm. to an MBA and now working on my doctoral. So students need to know those paths and not get caught up on, I need to go to this flagship because it's the only option. Exactly. There's, there's many options. I love that. Well, here's one thing, because I know with this question, you're going to have a lot of people leaning in for this response. So ah. <laughs> if I were to ask you, what is the key to increasing enrollments and starts? So what would you say? Here we go, folks. Listen up. <laughs> the, the million dollar question, right? Um, uh, <laughs> Listen, enrollment is highly complex, and, and I don't think there's one thing that you will do and magically you're going to have all this enrollment. I think that from an institutional perspective, um, number one, what is your culture on campus? Do you have an enrollment informed culture? Do people on your campus understand the role that enrollment plays in the financial sustainability of the enterprise? Uh, so I, I think it starts at a high level with understanding do we as an institution, faculty, everyone that is a part of mm -hmm. the system understand the importance of enrollment and what is enrollment, right? If enrollment, people, a lot of people think enrollment is just getting students in the door. Enrollment is about retaining and graduating that student as well. It's the entire entirety of, of getting the student in mm -hmm. and retaining and graduating from your institution. So it starts with that culture. It also starts with understanding, like I said, uh, being fanatical about the needs of the students and the markets that you serve. Uh -huh. uh, yes, we know that we have the demographic cliff coming in 2025 for the traditional high school population. Uh -huh. But here's the thing. Look at all the opportunities we have around adult education and continuing ed. Uh, we have 38 to 40 million adults out there that don't have a college degree. How do we diversify ourselves to serve the needs of our communities and the markets? Because it's not all the traditional population, it's our adult students, it's the online market, it's the hybrid market. Um, but paying attention to their needs. I always talk about being having fanatical discipline in listening mm -hmm. to our markets and the needs of our employers, our community, the students that we serve. So it's important that we understand what that is and that we adapt. One of the issues that I see in higher education is that we're slow to change. You know, I've worked with colleges and universities that they haven't changed their curriculum in the last 20 years. That's wow. a problem, right? Mm -hmm. We need to ensure that we have the programs and the modalities that our students are demanding it and that our employers need, right? So mm -hmm. curriculums need to evolve. So I think if you want to grow enrollment, uh, your VP of enrollment needs to have a very tight partnership with your provost. 
Mm -hmm. They should be working together to identify what are the needs of the markets? How are we going to get the product, you know, the programs that those markets need and how mm -hmm. are we going to market all those programs so they understand that we have the ability to teach the students and the market recognizes as a provider of, of all those programs um, for, for our students. And so, you know, it, it requires that partnership mm -hmm. and it requires, you know, an infrastructure. It requires, you know, we talk about digital transformation. We need to continue our digital transformation. You know, we, we talked about COVID uh, certainly helped us with all of that. So again, mm -hmm. there. We know it was coming. Now we're there. Now we need to continue to do that. And absolutely, when I say digital transformation is, you know, how do we align data, technology, and people? People being the hardest one, right? So absolutely. we need, campuses need to continue to work towards that alignment so that we can create the type of experiences that our students are needing in order to get through graduation. Um, but, you know, the culture, having fanatical discipline, mm -hmm. um, and then continuing that digital transformation. We have to be committed to that, evolving that and, and to continuous improvement. Absolutely. You know what, you have dropped some amazing gems today, Alejandra, and I really hope that everyone was taking some really great notes. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? You know, it's funny. I, I think we could sit here for hours, right, Kathy? Hours. And we can continue talking about this. Um, you know, here's, you know, when I look at what's imperative for us as a society as we move mm -hmm. forward, uh, I think... Um, I'll leave you with two thoughts, uh, and I know there's a lot of controversial, uh, there are controversial topics. Mm -hmm. Number one is, listen, we need to increase our financial literacy in K through 12. Students need to come out of high school understanding what their options are, the benefits of those options so that they can make informed decisions. So either colleges, we need to partner up with the high schools, mm -hmm. how do we do this, how do our state uh, and governing bodies help us with that type of campaign that ensures a student understands, hey, what do we have? What are the options that I have? And how do I go about accessing each of those options? Mm -hmm. There's not enough knowledge out there. And we have a media that is running the negative campaign because it sells papers. And they, that's, how they, that's how they get money, right? They need to sell the, the, the bad story to exactly. We need to change, change that narrative. And we do that through educating our students um, on the on the options that they have. Mm -hmm. The other piece, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the Harvards of the world and the top flagship institutions. And we need to shift our perception of what should be a highly ranked institution and what should be prestige. Mm -hmm. We need to focus on the institutions that are actually educating the majority of our population. Because if Absolutely. you look at the Harvards of the world and who gets in and who doesn't, I'll be honest with you, I don't care. That's at the top 1% okay. of the population. I want to worry <laughs> about the institutions that are providing access. I want to worry about the institutions that are out there producing our nurses and our teachers, serving our rural communities. That's where we need to spend our resources. Not to say there's room, of course, for all those flagships as well, but mm -hmm. I think that's put too much weight on that. And we forget that we have all these other institutions that are actually serving the majority of our students mm -hmm. I think that highly focus on this highly prestigious institutions are not enabling our students to understand the, the, the breadth of institutions that are available to them. And it makes it seem like less than if you don't get into one of those flagships, when in reality, yes. it is not. They can have an amazing life 
uh, we, you know, those institutions are all focused on social mobility and access. Mm -hmm. And that's how we move our country forward. You know, that's how we move society. That's how we educate more students. And so I'm very passionate about that. So I'll get there because <laughs> I know that's controversial, but um, this has been a pleasure chatting with you, Kathy. Thank you so much. Absolutely. No, thank you. And you know what? This is why so many people feel like they're just not cut out for college because they are misinformed. And we have to find a way to change the system little by little, student by student. Alejandra, it has definitely been a pleasure meeting you today. I, I love this conversation. Like you said, we could go on for hours, but we can do part two at a later time. I know. We'll do part two at a, at a later time once I'm back on campus. I'll, I'm sure we'll have more to talk about. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. But thank you, Kathy. I appreciate being on. Absolutely. And thank you, listeners, so much for joining us today. Until next time, take care, everyone. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. I have been working diligently to bring awareness to career schools. There's so much that they have to offer our students and our community. Every single role within the admissions process is critical, whether you're a part of the admissions team, financial aid, career services, academics, everyone deserves a voice. Admissions is the first point of contact for your school. So you want to ensure that you have a team who exudes confidence, passion, and a clear understanding of effective communication with our potential students. I totally understand the pain of missed class starts, low appointment and enrollment conversions, and this is why I created Next Level Admissions Training by Motivate with KAT. This platform is a step-by-step -step process, and it is going to train your new and tenured advisors in every single step of the enrollment process to ensure that our students are inspired, and they're ready and prepared to start class. Admissions is not easy. It can be very challenging, but it's definitely worth it. So if you're ready to take your school to the next level, head on over to lessons.motivatewithkat.com and check out Next Level Admissions.